0: be seated. It truly is a a grace and a privilege to be able to be together, and this morning we're going to open up uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, it's been about three months or so since we last studied this book together. I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, if you haven't done so already. Our focus this morning will be on verses 11 through 13, Uh, but just like last time, I think we need to read uh, verses 3 through 14 all together. This was written as one large sentence, and uh, it's something that would benefit us to kind of see not just these uh, few verses out of context, but to see how this was all written together. If, you've, if you're new to the church, uh, or if you've got a memory that's like mine, uh, you would probably benefit from either a summary or, or from just a, a, a brief Recollection or remembrance of what Paul was writing about and why he was writing it, to whom he was writing it, and we'll get there. but first I just want to start off by reading God's word together. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter one. I'll start in verse three, or yeah, and read down to verse 14. Now the apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the following words: He said, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, This is the very Word of God. May He bless it uh, for His glory. And the passage that we have before us is really it's the conclusion of this one glorious passage um, that some have even described as being the most glorious passage in all the Bible. Uh, It starts out with giving glory to God. It's jam-packed in the middle with giving glory to God. And it ends with a call to give praise and, and glory to God. The last time we studied this letter together, I pointed out that B.B. Warfield had said that this passage should never be read, uh, but only sung. Well, given that all Scripture is breathed out by God, uh, it's difficult to authoritatively point at one particular passage and say, this is the most glorious passage in all of Scripture. Uh, But even so, given the scope and, and the breadth of the truth that pours forth from Paul... Uh, in these verses, I, I think we would rightly conclude that we do indeed tread on holy ground as we encounter this truth. Uh, let's remember what Paul was doing in this letter. Uh, he was writing to a church uh, to whom he had ministered in person for nearly two and a half years. Uh, Paul loved this church in Ephesus. And those Ephesians, they absolutely loved Paul as well. And he wrote this letter, he wrote to them because he wanted to remind them of the things that he had taught them In person, uh, and he wanted their understanding of who God is to expand. Uh, He wanted to magnify Christ in their hearts and in their minds. Uh, He wanted them to know the power of God uh, that was displayed in their salvation. Uh, He wanted them to grow in their knowledge of God and then to live in light of that knowledge, to live lives according to the call to which they had been called. The way Paul started to impart this knowledge is what we read here in verses 3 to 14. So after just a short greeting in, to his beloved church in verses 1 to 2, Paul spilled forward this, this mass, masterful 270-word sentence uh, in which so many of the essentials of Christian doctrine are, are either alluded to or, or spoken to directly. Among other things, that this one long sentence certainly deals with theology proper. You know, we have a better understanding of who the God of the Bible is after reading and and analyzing and meditating upon this one sentence. It also deals with the doctrines of the Trinity, the doctrine of election, the work of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the gospel of Jesus, creation, grace, redemption, and the consummation when all things are finally united in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So many of the songs that we sing... Uh, they have their roots in this 270-word sentence. Uh, songs like Amazing Grace, uh, to God be the glory, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Come now, fount of every blessing, O for a thousand tongues to sing, and blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And so many more. Now, the beauty uh, and the profundity of this passage, it really demands a closer examination, and, and that's what we're setting out to do together this morning. Uh, such a profound and, and lengthy sentence, sentence is, is really difficult to, to outline, uh, but as we take a, kind of a step back and, and see what Paul's writing about, we see that at the beginning of this passage, he talks about the work of God the Father, uh, and then he moves on and talks about the work of God the Son, uh, and then he finishes up that passage with the work of the Holy Spirit. First, in verses 3 to 6, we saw the Father's sovereignty and salvation as He has chosen people before the foundation of the world uh, whom He would bless with every spiritual blessing in His Son, Jesus the Messiah. Then in verses 7 to 10, we saw the accomplishment of the Father's purpose through the work of redemption that was won by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It's through the shedding of His blood. It's through His atoning death that those chosen people uh, we have forgiveness of sin. And as they, as they turn from that sin and, and put their faith and trust in Christ. Then l- lastly, in verses 11 to 14, the passage that we're looking at this morning, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit that those chosen people of God uh, and the redemption that was won by Jesus are, are connected together in salvation. Uh, theologians refer to this as application. Uh, the Holy Spirit is said to apply the finish redemptive work of Jesus, savingly to those chosen ones who would believe in him. So as we narrow our focus on verses 11 to 14, my hope is that all of us will come away from this with with a greater assurance, a blessed assurance of our own salvation uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Assurance is is truly something we need. You know, it probably sounds a bit cliche, but I think you could say now more than ever, Right uh, in, in our current context, uh, we yearn for something that is, is certain, uh, something that is sure. Uh, we, we yearn for assurance. The world in which we live, uh, the mainstream media, uh, cultural influencers, even so-called branches of the Christian faith uh, would say that we can find such assurance uh, either within or that we could never, ever possibly have such assurance uh, in our lifetimes. The Scriptures tell us something completely differently, though. I hope that as we study this passage together, and that the believers in Christ will, will be greatly encouraged, uh, that we will have a truly blessed assurance of our salvation, and that such assurance will give us great joy uh, and peaceful rest as well. Uh, for those who don't know Christ, uh, I hope for a complete lack of assurance on your part this morning. For those who have not genuinely turned from sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, I hope that you are heavily convicted of your sin. I hope that you are convinced of your need of a Savior. I hope that you lack peace. I hope that you're not self-deceived into thinking somehow you have some sort of understanding with God that He's going to let you live a life that you want to live according to your rules and to satisfy yourself. And then at the end of time, when you stand before Him in judgment, that He's going to give you a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge, and and somehow kind of just sweep your sins under the proverbial carpet. It's just folly. It defies logic. And it's totally not in keeping with the truth of God's Word. I hope this morning that you who are lost have a distinct lack of assurance. I hope that you are troubled Uh, even down to the depths of your soul. As the wrath of God hangs over you, I hope it disturbs you greatly. Uh, If that's the case, uh, praise God for that. That could be the beginnings of the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to quickly cover uh, the first two points of our outline. Basically, we've covered some of these things in the past, and then then I'm going to spend a little bit more time on points three and four as we look at verses 11 through 14 together. Now remember how Paul started this eulogy back in verse 3. Uh, He started by giving praise to God the Father. And then in verses 4 to 6, he gave the first of four reasons why we should be giving praise to God. First, he said that we should praise God because he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Point number one, praise God because he chose us. Let's quickly look at verses 4 to 6 again. It says, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God is worthy of our praise because he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And this was done according to the purpose of his will, uh, ultimately to the praise of, of His glorious grace. Uh, We praise God because of His electing love. Uh, There are some who would would either scoff or even outright deny this doctrine of election, Uh, and that's despite such passages, biblical passages, this one in Ephesians and and elsewhere in the Old and New Testament. Uh, Rather than scoffing, though, Paul seemed to delight in God's election, as did Jonathan Edwards Uh, who centuries later would write, uh, the doctrine has often appeared exceedingly pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. Like Paul, like Jonathan Edwards, we should praise God because he chose us, he elected us. Secondly, we praise God because he redeemed us in Christ. That's point number two, praise God because he redeemed us. Uh, We saw that in verses 7 to 8. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We have redemption through the blood of Christ, and in Him we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. This grace was not just kind of sprinkled on us. No, it was... It was lavished upon us. There, there's this overflowing abundance, a, a never-ending warehouse of grace that God pours out on those who would believe in Christ. This redemption was, was a costly one, though. It cost Jesus' His very life so that Paul would remind us that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We praise God. We glorify Him in our bodies because He redeemed us in Christ. And that brings us to the third reason Paul gives us to praise God. Point number three, praise God because he has given us an inheritance. Praise God because he has given us an inheritance. We see that in verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory." So after reading that, you might ask yourself, well, what is this inheritance that Paul is writing about? In verse 11, he speaks of it as something, as, as if we've already obtained it, that, that we already have it. But then in verse 14, he speaks of it as if it's something that we'll obtain in the future. What is our inheritance in Christ? It's a great question. I'm really glad you guys asked it. Uh Just in one word, one word answer should suffice. Our inheritance is, it's heaven. Note that our inheritance, just like the previous blessings Paul discussed, our inheritance is in Christ. This two-word distinctive is really, really important to understanding Paul's writing. It's important to understanding our salvation as well. Paul used that short phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, some 169 times in his writings it was incredibly important to what he was trying to convey to those who would receive his letters our inheritance the hope of heaven uh, the total sum of all the promises of god in salvation uh, they're all found in christ and in christ alone and just as believers were predestined for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will so here we see that they're predestined to receive an inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. We ought to find great assurance in this. God has a purpose in saving sinners. Uh, He doesn't just willy-nilly zap people for salvation. No, this even before time began, he had a plan, and his plan is unfolding through redemptive history. For us rebels and liars, uh, this is profoundly good news that God saves rebels and liars. Our salvation does not depend upon our goodness. It does not depend upon our worthiness. And that is very, very good news because the Bible says that there are none who are good. Uh, There is nothing that we could possibly do to earn the favor of God that would cost him his own son. There's nothing that we could do to merit such salvation. Romans 5 teaches us that while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what Paul's saying here in Ephesians is that even before we were sinners, even before we were conceived in our mother's wombs, God chose a people for himself. And he predestined them to to be given an inheritance, uh, namely heaven this is a fascinating truth it is a mind-boggling truth it's an awe inspiring truth but truth it is i think that we would benefit from seeing how another biblical writer would describe this inheritance uh, turn over with me if you would to 1st peter chapter 1 1st peter chapter 1 and we're just going to look at a couple of verses uh, we're going to start in verse 3 and we'll read down to verse 5 together or through verse 5 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 to five, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds a lot like Paul's letter, doesn't it? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's look at the four ways in which Peter describes our inheritance there. First, he says that our inheritance is imperishable. Uh, Unlike all of those presents that are getting ready to get wrapped and and placed up underneath a tree, um, those presents that are subject to rust and and moth, and decay, and younger siblings, right? <laughs> all of these things, uh, unlike them, uh, the gift our of our inheritance is imperishable. Uh, the things on this earth, uh, they, they're all subject to the law of entropy, right? And that, that's even true of our bodies. Things just start falling apart. Uh, if you're young, praise God, If you don't believe that to be the case, just wait till you're in your mid or late 40s, and and you'll wake up someday uh, mysteriously with a new injury uh, that you somehow obtained while you were sleeping. It's an amazing thing. Our bodies just start falling apart. Uh, I have a friend uh, from back in my Navy days, and he recently posted this video, and uh, it's of this... Uh, candy apple red, brand new Corvette, uh, and it was, I couldn't tell if either the car was spinning, like on a round table in this dealership showroom, or if he was spinning, but the, it looked like it was spinning, whatever the case, and, um, and then he captioned the video by saying, I did a thing, and I, I was really tempted just to, to leave a comment about the law of entropy, uh, and, and to tell him about how things uh, fall apart, and I mean, given the fact that it's a Chevy product, it, that one might be falling apart a little quicker than, uh, than they would hope it would. But, you know, I, I didn't want to burst this bubble, I, I, so I just decided to hold on to my comments until this morning. <laughs> well, uh, in addition to our inheritance being imperishable, uh, Paul also says that it is undefiled. Uh, the reason our inheritance is undefiled because that inheritance is in Christ, who himself is undefiled. He's without spot. He's without blemish. The writer of Hebrews describes our high priest Jesus as saying that he is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So just as Christ is perfect and undefiled, so too is our inheritance which is found in him. And thirdly, Paul describes our inheritance as as unfading. And it's really difficult for us to imagine things that don't fade. I think that's especially true if you have been a recipient of, of an earthly inheritance. Uh, some of you have received either money or, or possessions from a loved one who has passed away. Uh, and if, you, if that happened long enough ago, you've even seen how some of those things have already started to fade. Things on earth fade away. The inheritance that is ours in Christ, though, is not of. This world uh, and its glory will never fade. Then lastly, we see that Peter described our inheritance as being kept in heaven for you. Your inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Uh, This is good news because we've seen already that the things on this earth, they're subject to entropy, to to decay, to defilement, to fading, to withering. Uh, We should praise God because in Christ, He has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled unfading, and kept in heaven. Well, what a great assurance this is for those, for those who believe. Our inheritance is guarded by God's power. Uh, it's not something that we can lose. When, when we rightly understand this, we're able to endure uh, really whatever suffering, whatever troubles, whatever difficulty the world might throw at us. Uh, even in the midst of those trials, when, when our hope is in this inheritance that is in Christ, our focus is on the things that are above and and not on earthly things, then we can praise God even in the midst of suffering. Uh, For we know that our Savior himself was not a stranger to suffering. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul put it like this. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's second Corinthians 4:16 to 18. God is certainly worthy of praise because He has given us an imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven inheritance. That brings us to our fourth and final point, which is to praise God because He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Point number four praise God because He sealed us with His Holy Spirit. And that's really the crux of this passage here that we're looking at this morning. It's the reason why I titled the sermon Sealed by the Spirit. In writing about the work of the Holy Spirit, Paul first says in Ephesians 1, verse 13, that we were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Then in verse 14, he says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. And the reason Paul refers to this Holy Spirit as the promised Holy Spirit is because God had been promising the people of Israel uh, ever since the Old Testament times that He would give them His Holy Spirit. We see that in Old Testament scriptures like Isaiah thirty-two, fifteen, Ezekiel eleven, verse nineteen, Joel chapter two, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. We don't have time to look at all those this morning, but it would definitely benefit you to, to look at those and, and to see how all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Again, those verses, Isaiah 32, 15, Ezekiel eleven, nineteen; 19, Joel 2, 28 and 29. Uh, certainly there are far more, but I think that's a really good start there. Jesus also promised his followers in John 16, that he would not leave them as orphans, but that the Holy Spirit would come to them. In fact, he said that it was to their advantage that he depart, so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, would come to them. And this work of the Holy Spirit in sealing God's people is really critical to our assurance of, of our own perseverance. When we rightly understand what it means that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, then we can have confidence that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The sealing of the Holy Spirit guarantees that this is so. And Charles Hodges he noted that there are three purposes for which a seal is used and, and he alluded to how each of these uses illustrates a part of the spirit's work. First, a seal is used to confirm the authenticity uh, or to confirm um, yeah the authenticity of an object or a do- or a document. During the time in which Paul wrote this letter, uh, people would roll up a scroll. Uh, and then at the end of the scroll they would melt some wax onto it and, and then they would either press a ring or some sort of symbol um, that would identify the sender of that scroll. Uh, if that scroll was, or if the seal was broken or if it was missing, uh, then the authenticity of the contents of that scroll could not be verified. It could have been changed or manipulated in some way. In modern days our, our money, uh, our passports, they have a seal of the United States on it. And if that's missing, uh, certainly it calls into question the the genuineness of the passport or or of the money in question. Secondly, a seal is used to to mark a thing as one's property. Uh, Pastor John, uh, before he came out here to Hawaii, uh, he had a a really large library. Uh, If you've been in his office, I mean, his library is actually still pretty impressive, but it's only a fraction of what he used to have. If you looked inside of some of those older books that he has, you'll see a raised seal in there uh, with his name on it. And it's used to, to identify it as belonging to him. Uh, that same idea has been used on, on things like cattle. Um, you know, they, They're sealed with the seal of the ranch to, to whom the cattle belong. And thirdly, uh, a seal is used to make something secure. Uh, we think about the seal of the Sanhedrin. Uh, that was placed on the tomb of Christ. It, w- it was designed to try to make it secure. Uh, each of these uses of, of seals illustrates an important aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit verifies that one who professes faith in Jesus Christ is truly God's child. Romans 8.16 helps us to understand this. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Then a little earlier in that same letter, Paul stated that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ do not belong to him. And so this this witness of the Spirit to to our own spirit, it gives us assurance that we truly are children of God. And where that witness does not exist, we can rightly conclude that we do not belong to him yet. The witness bears witness that we belong, that we are authentic believers in Christ. The Holy Spirit is also God's claim on us that we are His possession. Like we said before, we, we are not our own. We belong to Him. We've been purchased with a great price. And so the sealing of the Holy Spirit shows that we belong to God. And lastly, the Holy Spirit makes the believer secure in his faith. Uh, you see this especially in verse 14 where Paul says of the Holy Spirit that He is our guarantee of our inheritance. You could not possibly have a more secure Guarantee than the guarantee of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. Uh, nothing could give us more confidence in this world uh, and more assurance than knowing that we, as believers in Christ, have been sealed uh, with the Holy Spirit. Paul's choice of words here is absolutely masterful, and you would expect that as somebody who's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but this, this word that we see translated there as, as guarantee, it's got this idea of, of a deposit or or of earnest money, uh, similar to what's given in uh, the purchasing of a house. The Holy Spirit of God has been given uh, to believers. It's been deposited to us as a promise of what is yet to come. And so Paul says there in verse 11 that we have already obtained this inheritance. And he can say that because he has confidence in in the God who is a promise-keeping God. But as we live, uh, as we walk, uh, as we breathe... In this world, uh, as we deal with, you know, the fallout of, of another election that's touted as the most important election of our time, um, as we yearn for a time uh, that we can just see each other, uh, when, a time when we can just hug each other, a time that, where we can celebrate holidays together, uh, when when we are constantly fighting one disease after another, uh, we. we recognize that there is still a not-yet aspect to our inheritance. Uh, we've, we've been promised this, but we haven't yet obtained it. Uh, for now, we praise God that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is witnessing to our own spirits that we belong to Him. And, and But we haven't yet received that full promised inheritance, which is eternal life uh, in the presence of our Lord and Savior. So, now that we've seen those four reasons that are set forth by Paul uh, as to why we should praise God, uh, he chose us, he redeemed us, uh, he's given us an inheritance, he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Uh, as we have grasped and, and hopefully hold on to that assurance that is ours, and um, because the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, because the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, uh, I just want to take a, a moment to discuss uh, the gospel. Of our salvation in verse thirteen, Paul was speaking to the Ephesian believers. Uh, these Ephesian believers were once uh, polytheistic pagans. Right? I mean, he was writing to Gentiles, non-Jews, uh, who once believed in in all kinds of false gods. Uh, they had all kinds of false assurance. Uh, they trusted in either themselves or these made up gods. Uh, they were engaged in really all kinds of disgusting practices there in Ephesus. Then one day, by God's grace, they heard the word of truth being preached to them by the Apostle Paul. And what Paul ended up saying was the gospel of their salvation. And Paul said that they had heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and they believed in Jesus. And When they did that, they were immediately sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what is this good news that Paul's talking about? What's what's this gospel that he writes about here? Well, Just like this passage, the the gospel starts with God. When Paul was witnessing to the Athenians when he was in Athens and he was trying to tell them about who the God of the Bible is, he referred to the God of the Bible as the God who made the world and everything in it. Uh, That's the way that he explained who God is, that there is one God. God, who is the creator of all things. And as the creator of all things, he has authority over all things. God is the perfect, just, and holy, and sovereign God. And the rule that he set forth, he gets to set the rule because he created all things, the rule that he set forth for his creation, namely for mankind who were to be image bearers of God on the earth, Uh, He said that they're to be holy as he is holy. Uh, The problem is that man did not obey the rules that were set before him. Ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, uh, which they're not supposed to eat, uh, mankind has been stained, has been plagued by sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all is an all-encompassing all. Every one of us have sinned And every one of us falls short of God's glory. The Bible teaches that the reward for our sin is death, because the wages of sin is death. And so, in sinning against God, man created a separation between him and between God. Uh, We made ourselves enemies of God. Uh, We were without hope, without God in the world. Spiritually speaking, at that point, we were, were dead in our sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He lived a perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live. And he died a sinner's death, the death that all of us deserved. Jesus Christ was crucified. He shed Very real blood. He died a very real death, and that simply, uh, this death that he died was referred to as a as a substitutionary death. It's a long word, but it just means that uh, he was our substitute. He died in our place. He committed no sin, but he died the death of a vile criminal, and he did this willingly, so that anyone who would put their faith in him, anyone who would turn from sin and turn to Christ would be forgiven of their sins, and they would be given eternal life. And by spilling out this blood on the cross, Jesus atoned for our sin. And by his resurrection, we have evidence of the fact that God accepted this sacrifice on our behalf. He was resurrected from the dead. So Paul wrote about this to the Corinthians, and he said that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that it was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of truth. Uh, this is the gospel. But the only way to make this the gospel of your salvation uh, is by believing in it. Uh, you've, you've heard this gospel. Uh, now the response is to turn from sin and to put your faith and trust in Christ, to repent. And to believe. Uh, Repentance means that you turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Faith means that you believe what the Bible says about Jesus, uh, namely that he died in your place and that what he did on the cross was sufficient to cover your sins. When you surrender your life to Jesus, when you believe in him, your sins are all washed away and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God and you have the indescribable joy of being in Christ, then and only then can you sing songs like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, Heir of salvation, purchase of God, Born of His Spirit, washed by His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising the Savior all, day, all the day long. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I do pray for any and for all who are lost and are hearing this message. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would regenerate hearts and that you would breathe new life into them. Grant them repentance and belief even today. May this be the day of their salvation. Uh, Lord, I know there are some listening even online who have not been granted repentance yet. Some who are even sitting in here this morning. Lord, I do pray for Your Spirit to work in them to convict them deeply of their sin. May they have no rest. May they have a sense of their pending doom and a sense of the wrath of God that hangs over them because they have refused to turn from that sin and to believe in Jesus. Now, for your saints, Lord, I ask that you would use this message to be an encouragement to them and to bless them with peaceful assurance because they've heard and believe the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. You are the God of salvation, and and you get all the praise, all the glory for saving and for keeping souls. And we give you that praise this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.